How many of you watch television? Half of you are lying right now. <laughs> In 1926, the first wireless images were displayed on a three and a half by two inch screen. Scottish inventor John Logie Baird had created the televisor. Here's a picture of what was displayed of Baird's business partner's face. We have that up there? They'll find it here, maybe in a second. No, you don't have it? Well, just imagine a really blurry face, okay? <laughs> but uh, the Times wrote that they didn't see any practical use for this invention. Many uh, people, in fact, thought that Baird was crazy. And when he was being interviewed by the Daily Express, a staff member was quoted saying, for goodness sakes, go down to reception and get rid of that lunatic who's down there. He says he's got a machine to see by wireless. Check to see if he has a razor. This is how crazy they thought that this idea was. But even, you know, a blurry, faint picture is an amazing thing. And how much more amazing would it be to see what we see today? If they would have seen that back then, they would have been astonished. Today, our televisions are almost too good. Right? You can see every wrinkle on everyone's face. You can see every pore. It's gotten to the point where it's crazy. But you can also see the depths of space and the beautiful ocean floor. We, this is like the echoes that we get and the blurry glimpses that we get of Jesus the Messiah in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we get to see Jesus in 8K HD. So over the next few years, we're going to come back and do these snapshots of prophets, priests, and kings from the Old Testament, just like we do with our Jesus series. And some of these people we're going to look at will show Jesus by their character and by their attributes, but others will show us Jesus in contrast to their lack of character and integrity, kind of like the negatives on a film role. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the prophet Samuel. Now, Samuel lived a thousand years before Jesus. In the Old Testament, there are two books of the Bible named after the prophet Samuel. But most scholars believe that this is just due to how much text a scroll could hold. Uh, this is one continuous story. Before the time of Samuel, Israel had left Egypt and wandered in the desert and gotten the Ten Commandments and finally had come to the promised land. So Israel now had a home, and they should have kept the covenant with God that had, he had done so much for them, and he had asked them to do some things. But during this time is what the book of Judges covers, and it's all about how God's pulling his people uh, out of sin. Israel, he's calling them out of sin, and then we see them repent, and then God sends a judge to save them, only for them to go back and sin again. So Samuel is the last judge and the first prophet. And Samuel's life is very interesting because it's intertwined with the life of King Saul, the very first king of, uh, of Israel, and also King David. But like every great man, this story of Samuel starts with a woman, and her name was Hannah. Hannah was struggling with a sensitive problem that people still struggle with today. And the topic uh, that the Bible talks about often, childlessness. 
If you're grieving over a struggle with pregnancy, just know that you are seen by God today. He does not downplay that pain and hurt. It is real and it is sincere brokenness. Now, back in this time, in this culture, men might have more than one wife. Although God never permits that, it's against uh, his design all the way from the beginning. But Hannah's husband, Elkanah, had another wife named Panana. That's a pretty fun name, right? And she had children, but Hannah had none. And Panana uh, cruelly used this pain against Hannah. And her, as if her situation, Hannah's situation, couldn't get any worse, this rivalry uh, tortured Hannah. And childless culturally at this time would have also been seen as the result of sin, although God proves that to be untrue. So we see in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, this is talking about the relationship of these two women. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, to irritate Hannah, but even bigger than just like annoy her a little bit. Why? Because the Lord had chose to close her womb. So it went year on and year on. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and could not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you do not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Classic husband, right? <laughs> Elkanah makes it all about himself. And what's going on? Don't, am I, aren't I everything to you? Dude, shut up and just be there with her for a minute. But Elkanah tried to worship God. He was a, a pretty good guy, and he did love Hannah. So Hannah took her pain to the Lord, and she wept and prayed and prayed and wept. And we see in verse 9, after they had eaten and, and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple and the Lord uh, of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed. And she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow, saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on this affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, I will give your servant, and if you will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. Hannah is lifted up as one of the most godly women ever, a woman of prayer, a woman of worship, a woman that made a vow and kept it. She felt this pain to the deep core of who she was. And she was deeply distressed and she wept bitterly. And then she promises the Lord if he would give her a son that she will set him apart to be a Nazarite. Now, if you remember the story of Samson, he was uh, a Nazarite as well, except for he didn't keep his vow. And so a Nazarite would never cut his hair or drink alcohol or touch a dead animal as a picture of him being set apart for God. So as she prayed, the older priest at the temple, Eli, saw her and he watched her as she prayed and it, it freaked him out. And she, he even thought she might be crazy or drunk. It says that in the verse 15. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Hannah was distressed, but she wasn't pouring a drink out to numb her pain. She instead poured her heart out to God to ask for his help, the God that made her. 
So God miraculously answers the prayer of Hannah, and she conceived a son, and they called him Samuel. And the Lord remembered Hannah. And when the child was old enough, she brought Samuel back to the temple to be trained in the ways of the Lord by the priests and to serve God there and to be uh, raised up. And Eli the priest must have been surprised to see her. And she says, this is the child that I prayed for. God gave me Samuel, and now I give him back to God. She made a sacrifice to God, and they, they worshiped God together. And then Hannah lifts up a beautiful prayer of God's holiness, his sovereignty, and his power. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, Hannah prayed this, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and those that were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but those who have many children are forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He rises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world, and he will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces, and against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah has experienced the truth that God is in control and that he does what he wants and that we can trust him. And Hannah worships God, but she warns against pride and arrogance and feeling like we can handle things without God. And this is going to be a common theme throughout all the book of Samuel. We're going to see some men that get prideful and they fall. But then we see the humble the Lord raising up. And these words are echoed a thousand years later with Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she prays a prayer very similar to Hannah's prayer. And then we see it later with Jesus' teaching as he rebukes the Pharisees, but he comes near to the lowly and the weak. And then we see it all summed up in the book of James as he writes to the church where it says, God rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Hannah is very aware of this great new thing happening in her life and that it could not have come to pass if she would have tried to walk alone or gotten bitter and rejected God. And she was humbled, just like Mary, that God would use a simple Jewish woman to do something so great. Hannah also mentions in this last verse that we read a future where they would have a king. And God would exalt his anointed. But remember, this is before they had uh, kings. Israel didn't have kings at this time. So this uh, prophecy was partly fulfilled by David, but ultimately fulfilled by 
Christ, that God would raise up his anointed and bless them. So this child Samuel was set apart for this task, to serve God with his whole life. And his mother was blessed to be a part of it, and she worshipped God all the more. So the young child Samuel now lives with the priest to be trained in the things of the Lord. Now during this time, Eli, the head priest, was serving uh, and, and his sons were serving alongside him. But they were corrupt. And the Bible says that they did not even know God. These are people that worked in the place that was supposed to worship God, but they didn't even know him. And they stole from God out of what the people brought to God. And they even went as far to sleep with the women that would come to the tabernacle. And they were abusing their position. And the sons of Eli, this priest, they were using this position that they had to benefit their wants and their desires. And today this reminds us that not every person that is in a faith body is a believer. Some people are out for themselves. They want power or money or sex or they're filled with pride and they want recognition. Every person must be evaluated by their spiritual fruit, not how long they've been members or whether or not they have Bible knowledge or a position or have given a lot of money. The Bible tells us that love and joy and peace and gentleness and forgiveness and patience, this is how you identify a Jesus follower. Billy Sunday said it this way, going to church doesn't make you a Christian just like being in a garage make, doesn't make you an automobile. And the uh, sons of Eli worked in the tabernacle, but they were wicked, as wicked as they come. We're going to come back to them next week. But the child Samuel is a stark contrast to Eli's sons. He followed the Lord with sincerity and love. And young Samuel was an example of what the grown sons of Eli should have been. One night, God began to speak to Samuel audibly, which he was known to do with his Old Testament prophets. And at first, Samuel's laying there, and he thinks it's Eli speaking to him. And this happened three times, and eventually Eli told Samuel that it's not him. Stop asking me if I'm asking you any questions. Uh, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Because Eli understood that maybe this was God talking to him. 1 Samuel 3.15, the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel. You've seen that like on the internet, right? Where people get a dog or something, like we did a thing. Well, God's saying that right here. He's like, I'm about to, to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. He was going to use Samuel. God told Samuel also that the lineage of Eli would end with his wicked sons and that they would no longer be priests and that they would not grow old. In fact, uh, Eli's sin, uh, sons would die on the same day. This must have been a tough first message for this teenage prophet Samuel to deliver. right? Can you imagine giving this message, this hard conversation? But he was faithful and he was honest. Students, this should be an example to you that if you can believe that uh, God can use you, God can do amazing things with you even now. So don't believe that lie that you have to wait to some future time to serve the Lord. Verse 26 in chapter 2, 
Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. These exact same words were used to, be, uh, to talk about Christ in Luke 2.52. 1 Samuel 3.19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And he let none of the words fall, of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. This is what we see today is this Lord, uh, the Lord began a good work in Samuel's life. And Samuel was going to do amazing things, but it started with his mother, Hannah. And it started with an answer to prayer and someone with brokenness coming to God and laying it all out there and giving it all to him and God healing that brokenness and her uh, humbling herself and rejecting any amount of pride or bitterness. And God stepped into her her pain. God later goes on to give her six children in total. And I cannot promise you today that God will answer your prayers exactly in this way. But I can promise you that he is near the brokenhearted. And that he saves those that are crushed in spirit. So no matter what you are facing today, you are not alone. Take your pain and your brokenness to God. He cares about it. And go to him with humility and not pride. Be like Hannah and like Mary and like Samuel and Jesus Christ himself, the epitome of a humble servant. God rejects the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And you might be living your life in such a way where it feels like you're being rejected at every corner and it feels like the things that you want to do are not coming to pass. That might be something you should check on. Am I humble before the Lord, or am I bringing myself with pride? Humility will get you so much further than pride. Pride burns bridges. Pride can make you look silly. Pride brings division where you lift yourself up over everyone else. But humility draws people close and thinks the best of others. The people that have had the most impact in your life are those that are humble and they've invited you to come close to them. Not because they thought they were better than you, but because they were humble and they thought about you. Now, no one ever deserved to be prideful more than Jesus Christ. No one ever deserved to be more full of himself and arrogant than Jesus. But he humbled himself to the will of the Father he went to the cross for you and me. Like Samuel, Jesus delivered a message, and he uh, brought the ultimate message. And Jesus said, I will do whatever you want. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And even when it was something that was going to be painful, he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. And he came with that uh, a most wonderful message of all, which is the good news. And we, what we see dimly in Samuel and Hannah, we see in high definition in Jesus Christ. And I don't know what your brokenness might be today, but I do know that you can bring it to God. And you can cry out to Him, just like Hannah did. 
And you can say like she said today, that there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Let's bow our heads and go into a time of prayer and, and meditation on what God spoke to our hearts about today. Life isn't easy. There are hard times that come in our lives. But no matter what it is, you are not alone. Even when God seems in your thoughts and your feelings to be so far away, He is not. Every breath that is in your lungs is from Him. Every heartbeat, every firing of the synapses in your brain is all because of God, your creator. Your heart and your mind may lie to you to say that God doesn't care. He cares. He cares about the things that break your heart. And I don't know, in a room this size, it, it would be endless the different things that we could talk about that have broken our hearts. And I can't promise you that God's going to come and fix everything. He has a will and he does it. And sometimes that will means that he can bring a miracle and sometimes it means that he can bring you peace within. But that's no less of a miracle, the presence of the Lord. And what I know more than anything is I know that, that God loves you and he cares about what you're going through. We see that in the prayer of Hannah. And I don't know what you might need to call out to God and, and to weep and to, uh, to be broken before him about today. Maybe it's a loved one or someone that's sick or a financial burden or uh, just a, a relationship that, that is broken. But come with humility. God rejects the proud. That means you let God do it his way and in his timing. And you don't uh, get angry at him. And it's okay to be honest with him. But at some point, you have to humble yourself. Say, God, your way is the best way. And as you... Take some time to pray over what God has spoken to your heart about this morning. I'm going to talk to just a few people maybe in the room. Maybe you're not yet a Jesus follower. You're not against church or you're not against God because you're here. And you're interested, and that's awesome. But see, there's something that we have between us and God, and that's that thing called sin. Sin is anything we think or say or do that breaks God's law. And God sets up these boundaries around us so that we don't hurt ourselves and we don't hurt the people around us like lying and stealing and murder. And when we step outside of those boundaries, that's called sin. And then sin drives a wedge between us and God. And ever since the beginning, the earth has been flooded with pain and death 
and sorrow because we have sinned against God and against each other. And the whole Old Testament is about how God gave his people a standard to live by and a way to get to him. And they continuously, they, they might get it together for a little while and then they would reject God and worship some dead idol. But God had a plan from the beginning to send his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And he did that 2,000 years ago. And Jesus Christ walked this earth and he lived a perfect and a holy life and he preached and people followed him and he did miracles to prove who he was and then he allowed himself to be killed on a cross so that an innocent person could pay the debt that we owed because of our sin. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day breaking the chains of sin and death forever. And so when we want to be in relationship with God, that's what we have to put our faith in. We look back 2,000 years ago to what Jesus did, and we say, that was enough to get me to God. Jesus took my punishment, and I put my faith in what he did. Romans 10:13 says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 5:8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were sinners Christ died for us. You can call out today right now in this quiet moment. Words aren't important, it's not about church membership or baptism or, or any of those things although they're good. This all starts with a an act of faith to accept that gift that Jesus gave you on the cross. You could call out to him right now in this moment of prayer. Words aren't important. It's not a magic spell or a pledge of allegiance or something like that. It is calling out to God saying, God, I know I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you. And I've tried my way and it doesn't work. God, I put my faith in you what you did on the cross to save me. Please forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and thank you for this story uh, and this account of the life of Samuel and, and, and this great picture of who Hannah was. God, help us not to be like Eli's sons that are just godless and rejecting everything that you have done. Help us to be like Samuel where we've uh, chosen to do things your way. But God, we thank you for this picture of Hannah where she is broken and she brings that brokenness to you and you are near to her. God, we love you so much. We thank you for this time together. In your name we pray.